You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Last week we had a retreat for our small group leaders. We call them gospel communities, so we call them gospel community leaders. And I asked them in the first session together, I just said, hey, just let me ask you a really simple question. Why do people come to your group? Like, besides the fact that we make them, like, what are, they, what are they hoping to get out of it? What are they getting out of it? And a lot of things were said, a lot of great things. But what, the main thing that kind of came to the top was people are looking for community. And that was not surprising to hear at all. I hear that all the time. We were made for community, and it's really hard to find it in our world. I mean, have you ever thought about this reality that Everyone seems to want community, and it seems like no one has it, at least to the degree that they want it. It's like, what are we missing here? Does that make sense? There's probably lots of ways to answer that question about what we're missing, and today I just want to suggest one thing. I just want to talk about one very foundational thing, which is like a key of sorts that unlocks all the other things that we're looking for in community. And so before I tell you what it is, let me put it to you as a question. What would you say is the most essential aspect of relationship? What's the, what's the key thing that you got to have? So you might, you might say love, you might say acceptance, support, trust, growth. Those are all parts, aspects of relationship. But they're all contingent on something that's even more essential to relationship, and that is truth. The key to the kind of community that you and I want so bad is truth. What does that mean? Let me show you quickly first how that comes out in the passage that we're looking at today. So just real quickly as an overview. In the opening verses of the, the letter, you'll see this word fellowship is mentioned four times. That's, that's his word for community. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means shared life. It means participating together in the most intimate and important things in life. That's the kind of community that we want. And that's what John wants for us. Look what he says in verse 3. That which we have heard and seen, or seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So this is why he's preaching this letter to us, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so at the very foundational level, Christian community is the very fellowship of God the Father and the Son extended and opened up to us, that we might participate in his life together. Now look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Lots going on in those verses. We're going to get to some of those details in a minute. But for now, do you see the connection between fellowship and truth? In verse 6, Fellowship is connected to practicing the truth. And in verse 7, fellowship is connected to walking in the light. And it's easy to think that walking in the light somehow means not having sin or being without sin in some way, but that can't be the case. 
Because you keep reading, it's in the light where we find cleansing from our sin. And so, at the very least, or I should say at the very foundational level, we're just talking about honesty. An honest relationship with God and with each other. Truth is more than honesty, but honesty is essential to the kind of community that we're looking for. The kind of community John's talking about. Now, this is obvious when we're talking about our relationship with God, isn't it? If God's not true, like if he's not who he says he is, then this whole thing is silly that we're doing here. Our faith is futile, Paul says. Um, If someone says, I know God, but everything they say about God, their entire conception of God is not the truth about God that's revealed to us in Jesus, then they don't, they don't know the true God. They know some version of God that they've made up. That's why John is so particular in the opening of this letter to say this is real. We heard him, we saw him, we touched him, we looked upon him. He is the incarnate God, the revelation of God. This is real, real, real. And I want to tell you what it means to have a relationship with him. He reveals God to us. There's truth in revelation. But the same dynamics that play in our relationships. Like, if you only know the version of me that I put forward, like if I'm not completely honest with you, I give you some spinned version of myself, you don't actually know the real me, do you? You know some polished version of me. And to that extent, we don't have real community. We have it maybe in degrees, but not like we want it. Think about what happens when somebody's honest, though. So just picture yourself at a dinner party uh, or at a GC gathering or at church even of all places and, and, and the conversation's nice. It's not like people are lying, but they're just living on the surface. Everybody's having a good time. But then someone starts talking about what's going on in their real life. Like they really open it up. What happens when that happens? Community gets unlocked, doesn't it? Ray Ortland says, All of a sudden, everyone around the table realizes that the ground rules have just changed. We're not living on the surface anymore, and so everybody relaxes. Everybody realizes how much we really have in common in our brokenness. And we move into a more profound and gentler sharing of life and community. And then he asks, why not live that way all the time? Good question. John is going to tell us how we can live that way all the time. How we can walk in the light with each other. So three questions we're going to ask and answer. What is the light? What is darkness? And how do sinful people walk in the light? Right? Let's begin with what is the light? Verse 5, God's the light. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So take all of that time, those three years that John had with Jesus, everything that he heard and saw, take all of that, take all of that firsthand knowledge of Jesus and put it in a tweet. And this is what you get. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And it's, a, it's an incredible metaphor because light means so many things. Uh, light in the scriptures is often associated with life and purity, clarity, hope, truth. Light spreads and, and wherever it encounters darkness, it pushes the darkness away. 
And God is light in all of those ways. In John's gospel, I think there are like 20, 25 references to light, and there's a variety of symbolic meaning. But the main two ways that he uses light have to do with truth and morality. And, and these are really very closely related in John's mind. Uh, for John, truth is not something that we merely know. Truth is something that we do. That's why you get phrases like this when we just looked at, practice the truth. Uh, maybe the best example is in John 3, verse 20 and 21. Listen to what he says. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so that's the meaning of light here in 1 John. Think of it this way. Light both makes people to see what is true and enables people to walk in the truth. It's really hard to separate those ideas in John's mind and in God's. God is light means God is the source and the measure of all that is good. And to walk in the light means to walk in those things. So, in Christian community, light isn't just being honest about ourselves. It's also, um, it's, it's being honest about ourselves in light of the truth. Anybody can just say what's going on in their life. That's a different thing than measuring that up against some standard outside of ourselves. Right? And if you don't have that standard, all you can say to each other is like, thanks for sharing that. You do you. But if you have the standard, you can say, thank you for sharing that. God has shown us a much better way. Let's go there together. And that's, that's Christian community. That's how we grow. Jesus, in his prayer in John 17, asks God to sanctify us in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. And so in Christian community, we are bringing the word to bear in our lives so that God might change us. Karen Jobes, in her commentary on this passage, says this. Many voices compete to define morality in our times, and that was true in John's day too. In a culture like ours that values independent thinking and autonomy, it's difficult for people to acknowledge this most basic principle of Christian theology. God is God, and I am not. His authority extends to my life. And so my role as a creature is to conform to him, to walk in the light as he defines it. And then she says, without this basic understanding of God's authority, we cannot truly know God have fellowship with him through Jesus, or become spiritually mature. So you see how important this starting point is. God is light. He's truth. It also means that God is honest with us, totally upfront about who he is and who we are and how the world works. I don't know about you, I hate promotional uh, sales because I've been burned enough times where I think I'm getting the promotion, but there's some fine print There's some exception clause or it ends like in 12 days and I didn't know that and then I'm paying full price. I mean, there's something always, always a catch. It just drives me nuts and I hate hate promotions for that reason. John Piper says, there's no small print with God, no hidden agenda, absolutely no regrets for anyone who comes to God as they are with their whole heart, honestly. 
because God's honest with us. You know what you're getting. Now, right away, there's an application of this foundational truth that God is light. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So to walk in darkness um, isn't talking about someone who, who sins or who struggles with sin. This is talking about a lifestyle. Uh, walking in darkness is an ongoing and habitual neglect of sin, avoidance of sin, downplaying of sin. This person acts like sin doesn't really matter. And it sounds like this. It sounds like, theologically, they would say, well, God loves us and forgives us no matter what we do. And so what we do doesn't matter. We can live however we want. And you can see how that hinders community. Because if our aim is to walk in the light together, then we're going to want to talk about the darkness in our lives. And when you try to bring up the darkness in that person's life, they get real defensive about it. Because that's their personal life, and it's not your place to judge that. Or they avoid the issue altogether. Or they offer all of their rationalization. You know, they've read some scholar who, who really kind of brings the, the gray out in this area. There's lots of gray here. Can't tell you how many times I hear people talking about the gray. That's why I love John. There's light, and in that light, there's no darkness at all. He's not really nuancing it for us. He's making it more stark. Because we need that. He's trying to teach us something here. John says, if we think this way, that that our lives don't really matter, we're living a lie. Say whatever you want about God. You're walking in darkness, and that's not true community. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. This is our foundation. God is light. He defines what's true and good for humans. And our aim is to help each other walk in that light. I open up my lives to others so that they can fill it with the truth of God. That's community. All right, what is darkness? This will be really short. Sin is darkness. When the light shines in our life, it exposes our sin. And we tend to run from the light because we don't want to think about or deal with our sin. I get it. It's not a pleasant topic. None of you invited a friend to church today and they're like, I don't know. And you're like, no, really, you should come. It's going to be good. I think we're really going to hammer sin today. That wasn't, that wasn't a conversation you had. If you did, they didn't come. Here's the thing, though. It's literally in every verse. So John begins this section by saying, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And then in every other verse, all the way through chapter 2, verse 2, there's a reference to sin. Not like some word that is like sin, but the actual word. (laughs) Every verse. Why is John so focused on sin if his goal is fellowship? Because sin breaks fellowship. And that's obvious from the very entrance of sin into the world. Genesis 3. They have fellowship with God. They have fellowship with each other. There's the whole naked and unashamed thing. But then they break God's command. They eat of the tree that he commanded them not to eat. And when they break the command, their eyes are open and all of a sudden they realize they're naked and they feel shame. 
They cover themselves and they hide and they blame each other. You see how the fellowship is fractured everywhere? And so sin involves both guilt and shame. Guilt means I, I broke the commandment. I fell short of the standard. Shame means I have this sense that my failure is before the eyes of others. And so guilt is I ate the fruit and shame is I put clothes on and I went and hid. Sin's both. If you think about sin as breaking rules, then you'll, you'll get lost in the semantics of the rules. You'll be asking yourself, like, how far is too far? Where's the line? How, what's the gray thing going on here? And that's where the categories of light and dark are just really helpful. What is sin? Well, God is light, and so anything that's not of God, that's sin. Anything that doesn't line up with God's word and God's character and God's ways, that's sin. If there's something in you that makes you not want to come to God and talk to him, that's sin. Anything that just breaks fellowship, sin, darkness. So the question is, how can sinful people, because we identify with all those things I just said, how can sinful people walk in the light? This is where John really wants to hammer how we can walk in the light. He wants us to know that Jesus makes a way for sinners to walk in the light with God and with each other. And the way that he drives his point home is by confronting some of the false ideas people have about sin and then countering those with the good news about Jesus. That's the rest of the passage. So we just talked about in verse 6 some people who act like sin's no big deal. There's another camp, though, who have a a radically opposite view of that. And we see that in verse 8. There's some people who say, we have no sin. In other words, they're saying, sin is a big deal, but it's not a big deal for me because I'm in the light now. I don't have any more sin. And so you have to just, if you read John's gospel like they might have, and you see this duality of light and dark, you might begin to think that what it means to be in the light is that there's, you can't have any darkness at all, ever. And so you might conclude, okay, Christians don't sin. And there's been various forms of this kind of perfectionism theology throughout the history of the church. Um, I don't think many of us have that. I think we're painfully aware of, of our sin. But that was going around. And, of course, John doesn't say that at all. John says that God is light, and in him... There's no darkness, but that's not true of us. And we've already said this. Walking in the light can't mean we don't have any sin because that's where we find cleansing of sin. And the verb for cleansing is is like ongoing and continuous. It means I have a need to over and over and again come into the light and over and over again experience the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. And so to this view, John says, Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now again, I don't think many of you have that theological position. If you believe in sin at all, then I think you know you have sin. Here's where I think it creeps in, though. I think it creeps in at a functional level. Like, when we gather at church, or at gospel community, or just with friends, when we get together... And we're talking, 
and nobody's ever talking about their sin. It gives the impression that Christian community is a place where everybody has it together. And that is so crushing to the human soul. Not only is it really hard to be honest in an environment like that where it seems like everybody's got it together or at least supposed to, it masks the very gospel that we proclaim. It it masks and distorts the grace of God in our lives and the power of the gospel to change us. Who needs change if I've got it all together? We're so tempted to put our best foot forward, to say everything's fine. Um, We will admit some weakness. We'll admit enough weakness to make you think that I'm being honest about myself. But the real issues are still buried underneath, still concealed from community. It's not real community. It's surface community. In real community, we become more aware of our sin and each other's sin and more honest about it. So John gives us this simple practice of confession. Verse 8. He says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about how different that it is. So, if I come to a community and I put my best forward, foot forward and I'm very impressive and I keep the, the subject on, uh, the, the conversation on topics that I know a lot about so that you think I'm really smart. If that happens, then the guarantee is that people will think I'm, I'm kind of impressive. But if I come to community and I confess my sins, the guarantee is he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see how starkly different those communities are? Confession just means to acknowledge that something is true. It doesn't mean to fix it. It just means to acknowledge it. It's it's the kind of basic honesty that makes relationship possible. You might be surprised to know that the four, maybe five times that confession is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always mentioned in the context of, of a public confession or in the context of community. It's not that we don't confess our sins privately with God. We do both in church because both are important. But, for instance, here's a a mention in James 5. James says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That sounds like a great community. Don't you want to have a place where you can just tell the truth about what's going on in your life? and not be fixed or judged, but just prayed for and experienced the healing power, the cleansing blood of Jesus? Why would you not want that? Let me just say this. If you don't have that, you want that, you don't have that, you don't know where to find that, I want to help you. In our church, we have lots of uh, types of communities, uh, classes and gospel communities, but we also have something called D-groups, Smaller groups, three or four women, three or four men that meet together consistently for things like this. To read the word so that we have truth. To, to confess our sin and to pray for one another. It's almost like it's just, we got it right out of the Bible. And it's not like that any particular gathering of a D group, you're like 
oh my gosh, that was amazing. It's just that if you practice these things over time, you really experience true community and change. So if you, if you don't have anything like that in your life and you want something like that, I am committed to making that happen for you. So you just need to let me know. Uh, you can drop, you can put it on the comment card and put it in the offering box. You can send me an email at will at providenceaustin.com. You can send Kendall an email at kendall at providenceaustin.com. That would be better. We're committed to helping you. Committed to helping you. There's, there's no excuse in 2020 for you to say, I just can't find community that does these things. That's off the table. All right, we're going to help you find it. God's committed to this kind of community. When he says God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, this is new covenant language. You see it in Exodus and you see it in Jeremiah. He's saying Jesus is the new covenant. Jesus secures for us forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus makes community possible. We think that when we're honest, we're going to be rejected, but, but God does not reject us. He can't reject us because he's bound himself to us in covenant love. That's what he's saying. The blood of Jesus is the seal of the covenant. Therefore, God is and must be faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On one hand, you have people who think they can live however they want. And on the other hand, you have people who think Christians don't sin. And the gospel confronts both. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? So sin matters. Because it's darkness, it's deception, it divides. And so in Christian community, we don't want each other to sin. We try to help each other not sin. We encourage each other and admonish each other and pray each other so that we might walk in the light together. But we also acknowledge the reality of sin and we point each other to Jesus. Look what John says. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I'm writing this so you may not sin. I don't want you to sin. But if anyone does sin, as if to say, look, I know it's going to happen. Here's the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If there's anyone who doesn't want to come before God because of the unrighteousness that they feel, guess what? We have a righteous one who is already before God pleading our case. What's he pleading? His own life and death and resurrection in our place. He's saying, I died for them. I took their sin upon me. I gave them my righteousness. So forgive them and cleanse them. And the security of it is, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. Which just means he, he satisfies the wrath of God against sin in his death and resurrection. What we deserve from God, we don't get. He took it for us. We get what he deserves. Favor acceptance, belonging, inheritance, God. Some of you are looking at the end of that verse, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, and to save you an email to me. It's a tricky verse, but it doesn't mean universal forgiveness of sins. 
In fact, it actually means that there is no other atonement available for anyone, anywhere, apart from Jesus. It took me a long time to get to that conclusion, and I'm happy to walk through that with you, but just wanted to mention that since it's there. All right, the last thing that John confronts here is those who say, we have not sinned, which is in uh, verse 10. The reason they say that we have not sinned is because they don't think sin's actually a thing. It's, not, it's like some religious construct. It's not real. And so, if we haven't sinned, if it's not a thing, then we don't need to be forgiven. And we certainly don't need anybody to die for us. However, the truth as God reveals it to us, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is a thing. And it's a thing that God has provided for. He has sent his own son into the world to die for sin, to save sinners. And so John says, if we say we have not sinned, if we say that sin's not a thing, then we make God out to be a liar. Because he says it is a thing. And his word is not in us. The way that we live in this truth, in community, is by routinely acknowledging that sin is a problem. It's not just a problem. It's the problem beneath all the problems. I have this tree. I don't know what to call it. It's like a wild plant tree thing. In my backyard, but it's like, there's, there's my air conditioner and there's like no space for anything and then there's my fence and the tree is in that space where there's no space for anything and it just causes problems. It grows like crazy and uh, you can't, I can't cut it, I can't get back there to do anything about it. A couple of years ago or maybe last year they were redoing our fence so they tore the fence down and I was like, this is my chance and so I don't have like a chainsaw because that's something that like men have. I, I just have, I have like whatever tools I was given when I got married. I haven't had anything else since then. I'm not a handyman. And so I, I, I do have like a saw saw, you know, like Amish country saw. It's like, well, that'll do. I've got all day. So, and I needed it. So I go out there and I'm literally just sawing at this thing. And the saw is flimsy. I don't know how to saw that well. I don't think I'd ever sawed anything before like that. And the best part is the fence guys are there. They're just literally standing there watching me, talking to each other, laughing, and I don't care, I gotta get rid of this tree. I gotta get rid of it, it's a problem. And so I, I spent, I don't know, a long time just sawing this tree. I got it down to about that high. And then I went to Home Depot and I bought some kind of poison. I don't know what it was for. It said poison, it said kills things, I don't know. So I, I, I bought it and I, I dumped as much of it as I could on this stump now. I tried to even like dig into the, so I could dump it in there. I don't know what I was, I was just anything. And I felt good about my day's work. That thing looked dead. I thought, this is great. And so I went inside and I was all proud because I'd done a handy thing. And if you go back there today, you know what you're going to find? A freaking tree. (laughs) And the fence is up. There's like nothing to, you know, it just, I don't know how. I killed it. I poisoned it. I took it seriously. I didn't uproot it. That's the problem. When we try to deal with the problems in our life without dealing the roots of the problems of sin, I mean, we're just out there pouring poison on it, sawing it to death, 
and it dies a temporary death. But it grows back. It grows back somehow, some way in your life. You're going to see it again. You've got to uproot it. And so we can't functionally pretend like sin's not a thing. We've got to assume it's a thing, always a thing, and always at the root of the things. And our community has to get really focused on uprooting it together. That's why we point each other to Jesus. He's the only one that gives us the space and the freedom and the power to get that kind of change in our lives. We have this thing uh, called Gospel Change Project. It's a tool that we put together to help people get to the root of stuff. Uh, just acknowledging your sin, there's, there's lots of power in that but, that, but that's not all that is required of change. And so if you, if you don't know how, you don't even know what I'm talking about, how do we get to the root of something? It involves understanding the lies that we believe. It involves the idolatrous desires of our heart. It involves lots of things. And this little tool just helps people walk through that stuff and come into truth and healing and true worship. Lots of people in our church have gone through this. And so if, if you want to do something like that, you want to give that a try, I'm willing to help you. I will make somebody in our church who's done that thing. They will delight to because they've experienced it. They want to share that. And so you can just, it's flexible. You can do it at any timetable you want. You can just do it one-on-one. You can do it in a small group. If you want to deal with the roots in your life, this is it. No more excuses. Let me know. We'll do a gospel change project together. All right? Let me close with this. I had this weird experience this week. Just weird for me. It's not weird for you. It's like when you share a dream. Nobody cares. But, but this was weird for me. I was getting ready for the day, and I was thinking of just this show that I had watched on Netflix or something popped in my mind. It's been like a year probably. And the show is about a guy whose wife has died, and the episodes essentially just follow him through the stages of grief. And he, you know, he just doesn't care. Anyway, everything that he loved about life is gone, and he is just bottomed out, right? What ends up happening is he becomes friends with a very unlikely group of people. There's this drug, homeless drug addict, a prostitute. Uh, these are not people in his previous life who he would have even known or associated with at all. But as he gets to know them, um, he realizes they're not merely a drug addict or a prostitute. They're people with stories, with real lives. And they become his friends, He's not embarrassed by them because he doesn't care anymore. He's not trying to impress anybody. He doesn't care. And so he's free to just be friends with these people and experience real community with them. Anyway, I was thinking about that. I had that whole thought going on while I was getting ready for the day. And I just thought, that that sounds awesome. I wish we didn't have to hit rock bottom to have community like that. That's what I thought. And then I realized, wait, that's the gospel. You have hit rock bottom. That's what the Bible says about us. We're dead in sin. Helpless. Without God and without hope in the world. That's rock bottom. That's where Jesus found you. Not while you were being impressive. So then I had that thought. And I walk in my kitchen I open my computer, I pull up the first document that I have to read that day, and I read this. It's a, it's, I think it's a sermon that Ray Ortland was giving to his church, and this is what he says. These are the first words I read. If you are here to impress or perform or to advance yourself, 
you're in the wrong place. If you're in this church today because you want to reinforce your superiority, you came to the wrong place. We're not here because we stand for all the right things. The truth is we have fallen so far short that we've hit rock bottom. And it's in that low place where to our amazement we find Jesus waiting for us with open arms. That's why we're in church today. We want Jesus. We feel good about his virtue and his cause and his future. We don't mind admitting our shortcomings because the low place is always where we find Jesus. And all we want now is to live together in community down where he is and invite everyone else to join us in that low place. Because down there is where the better future of this world is appearing. When I thought about that community, and then I read this quote, I just realized that's the whole invitation of the gospel at the core. In Genesis 3, when they break the command and they cover and hide, God comes looking for them. He asks them two questions. Where are you and what have you done? It's odd because he's God. I mean, he knows where they are. He knows exactly what they've done. What's he getting at? He's inviting them to come into the light by confessing their sin. And he's inviting us to do the same thing today. No more pretending. No more hiding. No more being impressive. That's all darkness. Come into the light as he is in the light. And we'll have fellowship together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.